Thank you for tuning in to Spiritual Debriefing from First Baptist Church Hawassi, a podcast about Christian men living a Christian life in a very unchristian world. With your hosts, Daniel Meadows, Derek Fisher, Randy Bryson, and Jed Harris. My name is Ray Taggart, and I'll be pushing buttons and turning knobs. And tonight, our special guest, Corey Smith, will share his testimony with us. Hey, thanks for joining us on Spiritual Debriefing. I am your host, Daniel Meadows, uh, youth pastor at Fresh Baptist Swasi Men's Ministry Director. I uh, also work for the Bentonville School District. With me, as always, is... Hey, this is uh, Ray. I uh, am also a member of First Baptist Church, Hawassi. Uh, actually, you've had jack of all trades, master of none. I've worked a dozen different jobs and, and uh, liked them all. But uh, now I'm the sound engineer for the podcast. I am Randy. I used to work for uh, Benton County. I used to be a cop in the jail. I uh, worked for cities. Uh, surrounding cities, and I also am a member of First Baptist Church. Hello, I'm Derek, and uh, so I, I was a, an officer uh, in Arizona for approximately 10 years, um, so there's a little bit about my background right there, and that's why we kind of started this spiritual debriefing name, too. We got a couple of uh, uh, about three of us are prior, prior law enforcement, and uh, yeah, I just want to say hi. Hi, I'm Jed. I'm an auctioneer, farmer, rancher, and I'm also a member of Hiawassee First Baptist. And with us this week is a special guest. Yeah, I'll introduce him. Uh, he's a friend of mine. Uh, his name is Corey Smith, and... Uh, you know, we've just been friends for a while now, and just, uh, I, I kind of wanted to be able, have him on the show tonight and really share his testimony. If there's people out there that are struggling and, and really don't, don't see the hope, um, you know, we've all gone through struggles. Uh, we have been beat down and dragged out and didn't see an end in sight, um, and and Corey is a, uh, a veteran from uh, Air Force, and just wanted to have him share his testimony tonight. Now I'll bring it over to him. Corey, yeah, we're glad you're here. Yeah, yeah welcome, I appreciate Corey. you guys having me. Yeah. Um, you take it away, man. So, uh, so Derek actually uh, sent me y'all's last podcast, and uh, and I gave it a listen, and I really just called him because. Um, it was super encouraging uh, to listen to it. Um, I think uh, I think we could probably all relate with what you guys were talking about in the last podcast. Uh, sometimes it's tough. I've never done a podcast before, so this is literally me stepping out of my comfort zone. Um, but you are uh, among friends, buddy. <laughs> we were yeah. all there last week. <laughs> yeah, so it's a little nerve wracking. Um, uh, so. Uh, so anyway, I'm a, so I'm a member of Reformation Baptist Church in Centerton, Arkansas. Um, I've been a member there for uh, probably about two years now. Um, me and my wife are members there. So, um, so yeah, I mean, we'll just kick it off and start it out. Uh, 
So I'm a Texas boy. Um, I was talking to Derek about that too. I think I know he's from Arizona, and we got people from all over. So now, now I introduced Texas into the scene. So oh, yeah. you get Texas boy. <laughs> yeah. So so anyway, um, early life was um, it was great. Uh, had great parents, great mom and dad. Um, it, it was your typical uh, Southern family. Um, my dad uh, took me fishing, hunting all the time, um, taught me how to live off the land. Um, so, so I grew up in church, um, grew up going to church, um, as far back as I can remember. Um, and I call it like, I, it was in the nineties and a lot of you guys probably remember this, but, um, it was like your, I call it like the nineties Jesus movement, the WWJD bracelets and like the, the like contemporary Christian music that was like going on a date with Jesus <laughs> and it was just kind of awful. But, um, but anyway, the, it was, it was real antinomian. It was no accountability for sin. Um, just all grace, 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 you know, no matter of fact, looking back, um, at my childhood, I can't really recall ever <clears throat> going to church and hearing a, pras- a pastor preach, on sin, like, um, how to deal with sin, um, accountability for your actions within the body. Um, like I said, it was just all grace, 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 pretty much, pretty much. So, um, so I, I remember, um, being in church, um, seeing, seeing all my friends go, um, go up to the front and get baptized and, and I remember feeling like a pool. Um, I, I don't know if it was God pulling me or if it was um, seeing the pressure of seeing my friends go up, right? You know, um, I don't, rec- my, my mind just can't remember that far back, really. It could have been a little bit of both. Um, and just to kind of paint a picture of, of, of like what I'm talking about as far as like the, the, um, really no preaching on sin. I remember going up to the front and it was like the next day or the next week. Um, the pastor had, uh, taken me out to the playground. I, I had to have been like 10 or 12 years old. Um, and he gets out this sheet of paper and he's like, and he draws a cliff on one side of the paper and a cliff on the other side of the paper. And he writes earth on one cliff cliff and he writes heaven on the other. And there's like a void in between, and in the void, he's, it, he writes hell. So he go, so he asked me as a kid, he's like, so how do you avoid going to hell? And I was like looking at this paper, and I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> I don't even know where we're going here. Um, so he draws a cross in between the two cliffs. Real cheesy. I'm sure you get, some, <clears throat> some of you guys might have actually experienced that. Um, anyway... Like I said, he never like he never told me why people went to hell. Yeah, yeah kind of like that. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Daniel has it in his wallet. <laughs> um, it's one of my card tracks that I carry around with me. <laughs> it's a little cheesy. It's a little you, cheesy. Uh, well, you yours. Said, I'm not. I'm not attacking it. Um, yours. You, you said you was gonna paint a picture, but Daniel already. Had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know the viewers can't see it, but. Yours is a lot more detailed than what I got. Mine was hand drawn, and 
and I don't I won't I don't want to come across as like belittling anybody because I'm not. Um, like I said, this is I mean I was like ten or twelve years old, um, so my memory is not the clearest on the scenario. I do I do remember it being really shallow, um, and the point that I'm trying to make is um, I just didn't want to go to hell. Like uh, <clears throat> I was scared of death. I was scared of hell. Um, I knew that. I just did, it, I knew it was sounding like a place that I didn't want to go. So, so I basically used Christ um, as like a get out of hell free card, you know. So, <clears throat> so anyway, um, this kind of led down. Uh, I would I would call like a religious atrocity um, uh, for the pretty much the uh, my young adult life. Um, I used God um, at, whenever. I needed him, and that was it. Um, it. There was no true relationship there. Um, and, I mean, <clears throat> looking back now, it's pretty um, disgusting to, to think about, to be honest with you. But, um, so, I mean, we can, I'm not going to go through my whole childhood, but, um, so let's fast forward to when I joined the military. Um, so, I was actually 25 years old when I joined the military, quite a bit older than most people that join. Um, matter of fact, I was one of the oldest guys in my boot camp class. I had a, I had a really good job. Um, at the time, I worked for a vendor for Walmart, uh, made really good money. I was really successful as a young man. Um, and I don't know, I, don't, I can't remember if it was like I was watching the news or what what kind of hit me on with this, but I remember just thinking, you know, I've got all, I've got everything that, that I could ever want. Um, got a good job got brand new truck, brand new house. And there's, you know, men and women overseas fighting and I need to be pulling my weight basically is what I told myself. So, so I, uh, ended up joining the air force. Um, and, it was pretty rough, like I said, because I was older and I was successful. I wasn't a kid. I was, I was, I was making decisions, like important decisions at my job. I was making decisions on my own. I was on my own, didn't have any help. So I really struggled with the military and with authority. Um, so, so I barely make it through boot camp. I was constantly in trouble. Um, and it was just a really horrible experience because I questioned everything. And I still do, but um, so so I stayed in trouble. Really hated it, to be honest with you. Um, but I got out of boot camp, got got a little bit of freedom, and I was like, all right, you know, we'll keep rolling with this. So when I joined my duty station that I was stationed at, they were going through a um, a, a transfer. That, so they went from having aircraft, um, so an aircraft type. Um, mission to they were switching over to an in intelligence mission so I really joined the Air Force at a bad time um, because they only had so many job opportunities open because of the transition so the only the only job they offered that I that I was willing to take was actually a law enforcement um, career field so I graduate boot camp go to my tech school training which is in law enforcement basically teaching me how to be a military cop and I hated it too. Um, I hated it a lot. Um, so I barely make it through 
my tech school. Um, once again, constantly in trouble, constantly questioning everything. And so I finally get home, back home to my duty station. And um, I think I was there for like maybe a month. And I don't even know if I even did any on-the-job training. So, um, so, and then uh, my master sergeant at the time, uh, the master sergeant over training, he was like, hey, Smitty, um, we're offering, or they're offering sniper school to, uh, to Air Force guys. And he's like, do you want to go? And I said, well, heck yeah, I want to go. I didn't really, I hated my career field. So I was just looking for any way out at that point. But it also sounded pretty dang cool at the same time. After I after I accepted the opportunity, I really I really got scared because I was like, man, there's no way I'm gonna be able to graduate sniper school. Um, I mean, it it was a tough school. I mean, and I and I did end up graduating, but I struggled there too. Um, I barely graduated. I think it was it was either. Um, unknown distance or known distance qualification round that I, I mean, it was like, you get three chances and you're done. If you don't, if you don't, if you don't hit your target and score um, a good score, um, you can get washed out and you're done. And you go back to home to your duty station with your head hanging and it's embarrassing. So, but I ended up passing. Um, it was tough. I remember looking at my, my good buddy that was there with me. We, we went together um, I remember looking at him, and I was like, man, this looks a lot cooler on TV, <laughs> you know, because, you, you know, you'd, like, watch those documentaries on the History Channel, and it's like, man, that looks pretty cool, and then you get out there, and it's like, you ruck for miles, like, like you get out of your hooch, and there's, like, cars parked all around, and then, but they make you ruck, like, miles to, where you, to your range to go shoot, and I was, we were just rucking, and, and this was in El Paso during the summertime in the desert, and, uh, and I remember looking at him, and I was like, dude, this looks a lot cooler on TV. <laughs> and he just started laughing. He's like, it does. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, so we get through that. Um, that really kicked off my, my career, um, where I really started to enjoy what I was doing in the military. Um, I mean, it was like a dream job. It's like literally like us guys getting together and going to the range and shooting guns all day. For, and getting paid for it for a living. <laughs> it was really cool. I uh, got to shoot some really cool guns. Um, got to go all over um, and do all kinds of cool things. And it landed me in Afghanistan, in Kandahar, Afghanistan, fighting the war. Um, so it was a 12-man team that we got shipped over a 12-man team called the Dirty Dozen. Um, so, so we... So we Anybody that's been to Afghanistan in a military capacity knows that the, pretty much the first place you go to is Bagram Airfield. It's a big air base. Um, most people have probably actually heard of it because that place was hot back in the day. Um, I mean, I don't even think you could sleep there. You're getting mortared so much. It's surrounded by massive mountains, and it's in this valley, and, and it's a big air base, big hub. I mean, anybody that's coming in and out of Afghanistan is going to go through Bagram. So I think I was in Bagram for like, I don't know, maybe a week. And they were like, we're shipping you guys up to Kabul, which is really famous now because of our the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan. Kabul airfield that, that was painted all over the news for a while where all the Marines got killed. I flew in and out of there and stood there 
I mean, I can't even tell you how many times. So seeing that on the news again was really surreal. But um, so so we fly up to Kabul, which was freaking awesome. So Kabul is the capital of Afghanistan, and it is a massive city, and it is a massive joint military base. So you got you got militaries from all over the world. You got the Australians, the British, the Turks, um, the Romanians. I mean, I can't even can't even tell you all of them. And like it was just cool, like experiencing, like meeting all these people from all over the world. We all have one mission, and that's to kill the bad guys, right? And we're all on the same side. And it's like, man, this is really cool. And and but what the coolest part was the chow halls were insane. I mean, you could literally go in there and get crab legs and steak <laughs> any time of the day. <laughs> I'm telling you, I was like, this ain't even a deployment. This is like a vacation. I'm cool. Staying. And it was super pretty up there, like massive mountains all around you. Anybody that's been to Colorado, I mean, these mountains make the mountains of uh, Colorado look super tiny. They're just massive. And so they got trees on them. It's not a desert up there. They have snow on the mountain peaks. Super pretty place. Um, so I'm like, man, I could totally do this for the next nine months. I mean, and I mean, Kabul was not, I mean, there was almost zero threat there. So, I mean, anybody that was stationed there had it pretty easy. And so, so we get called up. I don't know if it was like a general or a colonel or somebody high up anyway that makes big decisions, calls us for a meeting. So my team leads like, well, we got to go meet with, meet with these guys and see what they, what they want us to do. Because we're just sitting around at this point waiting to get tasked. And, I mean, we're, like, drinking coffee and getting massages. And <laughs> it's, like, getting pampered. <laughs> it was crazy. I know. I'm telling you, it was crazy. I shouldn't even be saying this because probably. <laughs> That's a hard life. <laughs> I know. It probably, probably the, gives people a different view of. <laughs> the military spa. <laughs> now, I will say I was in the Air Force, and they do treat you a lot better. So, um, anyway, we did get. So we go meet with the big guy, um, not Biden, not that big guy, but uh, but uh, so we go meet with this full bird or general, and he's like, "Man, who are you guys? Like, where are you guys from?" And we we're like, "We're from Arkansas," and he was like, "Oh man, like we're just twelve hillbillies from Arkansas <laughs> that like to shoot guns <laughs> and." And we're really good at it. Like, like you guys sent us to school to be really good at shooting guns. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, I tell you what, we're going to send you guys down to Kandahar. Well, anybody that knows anything about Kandahar knows that's a hot place. It doesn't matter what time uh, that the war in Afghanistan was going on. So Kandahar was the home of the Taliban. That's where they originate from. That's their home turf. And they've been trying to take it back from us ever since we took it from them. And so we knew, we knew that we knew we were going to go fight and, and it was about to get real. This was the vacation was over. And so I'm not going to get into, I'm not going to get into a lot of that stuff. Um, so, so I end up, Going down to Kandahar, um, we hop on a couple of planes and we fly. It was like maybe a three-hour flight. Kandahar is right on the border of Pakistan. Um, 
a lot happening down there. A lot of training going on. We're trying to – the Air Force and the Army are working together trying to get um, the Afghans to where they're self-sufficient. Kandahar Air Base was like, at one time, probably outside of Bagram, was probably one of the biggest bases um, in Afghanistan. And then whenever we arrived there, they had dumbed it down to like 2,000 guys to hold off like a ton of enemy – uh, coming at you so anyway uh there was a lot happening everybody was working really hard you were super undermanned and uh super under equipped so so anyway um we uh basically our job was uh we were called guardian angels um we were we were tasked with watching over um advisors and and people people that would come in like generals. Um, I mean, I even remember, um, doing overwatch for like British generals, which was really cool. Um, we would, anytime like Afghan generals would come in, we would, um, we'd be their personal security, which was super, super risky. Um, cause those guys were a hot target all the time. Um, but got to do some really cool things. Um, I don't I don't really know how I made it out alive to be honest with you. I mean we basically lived with Afghans. We were surrounded with Afghans pretty much 24/7. And I just knew that like one day we were going to get shot in the back cuz I mean like the Romanians were down there with us and those guys got killed all the time while we were there and they all got shot in the back. Um now Americans were a little different. We were a little more skittish. Like we didn't let those guys get the jump on us or at least tried not to. So but the Romanians were super relaxed and they were too trustworthy, so they were getting killed a lot. But I was like, but it's still in the back of your mind, right? It's like, man, any day could be my last day. But we made, we all made it out alive. So, and other than that, I mean, I'm not going to go into any more real detail. Um, I did, I did want to notate something real quick because because I am about to start getting into my testimony. This is this is I'm kind of telling you guys some stuff that's like leading up to the unraveling of my life. But this is just my testimony and this is not the gospel. Um, my testimony does not have the power to save only the gospel does. So I just want to make that really clear. Um, now I do hope that, um, that my story can maybe help somebody out that, uh, you know, they might be struggling with some of the same things I struggled with, but, uh, so anyway, we, um, coming home was rough. Um, I pretty much was looking for a fight. Um, and I don't know if it was cause just being amped up for like nine months, um, and constantly like being on edge. But, um, I was, I was, I was looking for a fight with anybody that would be willing to, to go, you know? So, and this was really tough on, on my family, on my marriage at the time, my first marriage. Um, and uh, I could tell, I mean, this is when I really started getting into, like, heavy alcohol use. Um, I was uh, I was pretty much a raging alcoholic at this point. And it was really just trying to, trying to deal with, or maybe try to numb it, or I'm not real sure. It just made me feel better, you know. And, and then I could just isolate myself and get drunk and not have to worry about anything. So... It was pretty sad looking back now, but that's all I really, at the time, knew knew to do. So, 
So I could tell that. So I, I'm starting to see that my marriage is crumbling and deteriorating at this point, and and it's getting bad. And and I can and I, so so what do I do? <laughs> and the, I go to I start we start going to church because I use God right. I just use God whenever I need Him, and I can see that things are going bad. I can't fix this. All right, God, now you can step in. I, I had it before, but I don't have it no more. And I could tell. There, I mean, there was nothing I could say was working. Is all I, I mean, is all I do is get drunk. And so, so yeah, we start going to church. Really, um, this really is what started um, God working on me. It was real subtle at first. I didn't really understand the plan. Looking back now, it's kind of funny seeing it, but as I'm telling the story, it's it still kind of blows my mind a little bit how God works, and it's it's pretty crazy, and you guys will see here in a minute. But um, so we start going to church, and this is where my buddy Destin Cassiopo comes into my life. Um, so he. He's probably so God definitely used him. I'm not giving him any credit. All the credit goes to God. God used that dude in a way that um that I'm super thankful. So he uh Dustin he was he was a good enough friend to me that uh that he told me the truth even though it was hard. And and he stuck to his guns. He didn't he didn't just, he wasn't he wasn't trying to tell me what I needed to hear. He basically was like, dude, like, if you're going to claim to be a Christian, like, you can't act like that. Like, so, and it was the first time I'd ever been told that or had anybody stand up to me. So, so it was tough. It was, it was tough to, to see, like, and he, and he, he didn't just talk about it. He backed it up with scripture. So, so, I, I mean, I get mad at the dude. And he, like I said, he stood, he stood his ground. And, and so I was like, well, you know what? I'll just look for myself. So I start reading the Bible and I hadn't read the Bible. And I mean, there's no telling how long at this point. I mean, it's just, it's just something I didn't do. Cause like I said, I didn't care about God. I only cared about God cause I wanted to get out of hell and maybe things were not going my way. So I'd be like, I might do a little prayer up there, you know? And so there was no real relationship there. But I was like, I question everything. I have, I've done that ever since I, as far back as I can remember. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to read for myself and see what this guy's talking about. And we were going over some deep truths and I'm not going to get into here. Um, but I mean, they were, it was some deep, deep truths of God that I was like, man, there's no way. There's no way. And, I mean, like I said, I would get mad at him, and he'd be like, just look for yourself. And I knew, like, I, w I would read the Bible, and I would read whatever topic we were talking about at the time. And, um, and I mean, deep down, I knew it was the truth. I mean, deep down, I, I knew what he was telling me was the truth, and I couldn't, I, I was just too prideful to, to admit it at that point. So, um so this is where God really started working. He was working through my buddy Destin, and we're still really good friends today. Matter of fact, we pretty much talk on the phone every day still. So, 
Um, so my marriage ends up failing. Even beside, you know, we're going to church. God is cracking my eyeballs open a little bit. So a little bit of light's coming in at this point, but I'm still still using God. I don't. There's no commitment there. There's no true, genuine repentance there. It's just, what can you can you get me out of this? Now, can you get me out of this financially? You know, because divorce is expensive, um, and help me heal from the damage caused by it. So, um, so yeah, my marriage fails, and that was tough. Um, but God, really, I mean, my life at this point was a war zone. It was like being in a war zone again. Um, everything that I knew was, it was like poof, gone. My kids were gone. I had two daughters with my my ex-wife. Gone. Just like, you look around and it's just poof, gone. Everything. And so, literally, my wife was a war zone. And uh, so, my buddy Destin, um, it was a huge help through that. Um, God, like I said, used him in a big way. Because, like I said, at this point, I wasn't I wasn't seeing God as, like, sovereign over all things. And and able to help me, right? So I'm still, when I talk to God, I'm just like, what can you do for me still? So so God was really working through Destin to open my eyes. So so this this is where, so I'm going to start reading some scripture now because, and I'm, so I'm going to read scripture just like I read it at the time I was going through this. So, so you guys will, be able to see, like, this is what I'm reading while I'm battling this battle with God. So, so you're going to see, so maybe it'll help, you know, put it into a little bit of perspective from, from my view at the time. And I'm going to try to do this seamlessly. This is my first podcast ever. So, and I've already talked to these guys about this. I'm a little bit nervous. And, um, so I'm going to try to get through this, uh, as seamless as possible. So this is where the this is where the ride gets a little wild for me and God really starts to to open my eyes. But um so uh I'm gonna start in Ephesians chapter two and it's one through um ten. And I'm gonna read it real quick. So and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in sons of disobedience, among who we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him in the seat and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, couple of things that hit me really hard from Ephesians 2 is 
we're dead without Christ. And I was like, oh, man, this is a problem. And, I mean, literally, like, it talks about how we're children of wrath before Christ intervenes in our life. So the, <clears throat> this is a, so I told you guys that, like, God is cracking my eyes open. This was, this was kind of, this was, this was a tough one for me because I saw myself for the first time, like, who I truly am before, before a holy God. So, <clears throat> so I see myself and I see God and I'm like, man, like, God is truly holy and truly perfect in every way and and I'm not and that's a problem you know so so anyway you start you start thinking about you know what God did what God did upon the cross what I mean and it and it was tough it was really tough So anyway, um, we can go back down to um, Ephesians 2.10, and it talks about how, for we are his workmanship, um, created in Christ for good works, um, which God prepared beforehand. So I see that God has a purpose for me, and what I'm doing is is not the purpose that God had in mind, right? So... So I see so I'm seeing myself for the first time who I truly am before a holy God. And I see um I see that I got a true problem. And I so so I heard a I heard a preacher or he's a missionary. I heard I heard him say say this one time. He was um <clears throat> I think he was like in the UK or something um talking to like some university. Um and he, he was, so the guy's name is Paul Washer. Um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of him. So a lot of people joking, like, man, he got washered. Yeah, because this dude's, this dude's, uh, this dude's legit. But um, anyway, he's standing there and he's like, the scariest thing I can tell you guys is God is good. And they're like, um, so this kid stands up and he's like laughing and he's like, why is that scary? You know, so, and, Paul Washer being Paul Washer leans across the podium and he said, because you're not, that's why. And I got to thinking about that and it's so true. Um, so what, what is a, what is a person like you going to do standing before a holy God that's good, you know, and it's a problem for sinners. You know, you got two options. You can either stand before God in your sins or you can stand before God in grace you know, so <clears throat> this is tough because, and it's still tough for me to talk about, obviously, I mean, it's emotional for me because you, what, just talking about what Christ did, just Christ co- coming down off his throne, incarnate, man, I mean, you talk about miraculous, just that, just that, I mean, we could talk about that for the rest of the podcast, but so I see, so I see that I'm in trouble, right? And I, but, but I'm like, you know what? God has purpose for me. God, two of the most beautiful words in Ephesians two is whenever you get to the part where it says Ephesians two four, but God, 
And then he goes on to say, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. <clears throat> so, I mean, <clears throat> right there, I mean, it still chokes me up, man, because, um, I mean, if it wasn't for God intervening in my life and in y'all's lives, um, we would be nowhere, you know? Sorry, I'm going to lose my voice. <clears throat> so... All right, so we're going to move on because that's a tough subject for me, obviously. But um, but I'm thankful for God. I really am because, as you guys will see, um, it's going to be a struggle. Um, so we'll jump over to John 15, 4 through 5. Um, and i got to try to get there. So, so it says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So at this point in my life, I look at my life, and, I, and so I truly examine myself. And I'm like, I'm starting to see that I was a fake. Um, like there was no fruit. There was no evidence of truly being regenerate. Um, you, I mean, like you guys have heard my story leading up to this point, I just used God. I used God for whatever he could do for me. It's like, I think a lot of people fall into this trap that God is subject to man. <laughs> and it's the other way around. And we're going to get into that because I had that mentality at this point, at that point in my life. I mean, whatever I asked, it's like God was a genie in a bottle. You know, you just use him and then be done with them, you know. So, so anyway, I'm starting to I'm starting to examine myself at this point, and we'll look at Second Corinthians thirteen five um, because it talks about um, examining yourself. It says, "Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test." Those are pretty serious words by Paul. And they cut me. They cut me pretty deep, and and I did examine myself, and I think maybe I at first probably lied to myself. I'm like, you know, you're not that bad, or you know, whatever. And but eventually, like once again, deep down, I knew, I knew the truth. So, <clears throat> so anyway, you can't. I'll tell you this. And you guys know this, and anybody that's had an encounter with the true living God of the Bible knows this. You can't come across the God of the Bible and not be changed. And like I said, I was, I was a, I was just, I was a fake and a fraud, and I see that now. And so I, I think I, I, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but I'll mention it now. So I'm. I mean, as you guys can see, I was a false convert until about four years ago. Um, I thought I was saved. Um, like I said, you guys heard the story about what the preacher did. And he was like, just write the date in the back of your Bible. And if you ever doubt your salvation, go back and look at the date and you're good. You know, it's just your typical stuff. And, you know, and it still goes on today. It wasn't just in the 90s. But, um, but what I'm saying is, is you can't have an encounter with the God of the Bible, the true living God, and not be changed. And there was no fruit. There was no evidence of having 
that encounter with God. Um, and I really didn't like what I saw. Um, and I, I was really, I really struggled. I was really struggling at this point because the burden's getting heavy. Um, so we'll, we'll read uh, James 2, 14 through 19 because we're talking about fruit, right? So uh, you guys probably, most people probably know these verses. Uh, they're, they're pretty popular. So what, is, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe in God? You, you believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. You talk about sobering. That was pretty sobering right there because I think I I needed a I needed I needed a reality check. But I think a lot of people need a reality check because James is exactly right. Even the demons believe and they have sense enough to shudder before a holy God. I was too stupid to even do that. And so so I so I realized I have dead faith. I don't have true living faith. This faith that I have can't save me. It, I mean, it's it, it's I'm a like I said I'm a fake and a fraud at this point. Um, so so my sins um, are pretty burdensome at this point, right? Because now I can see I'm in trouble. Um, and now I see that you can't sin cheap. It's going to cost you eventually. You guys know that. I mean, most people think, you know, I heard, I heard somebody say this. I can't remember who it was, but they were like talking about people just walking around, just, just the lives full of sin. And it's somewhere in Romans, it might be in Romans 9, I can't remember where, but it talks about they, um, they store up wrath against them themselves on the day of judgment. So literally that was me. I was I was just storing up a wrath against myself on the day of judgment. And a lot of people do that and it's sad, but um so it's heavy. Like I'm I'm this the reality it's like a sledgehammer to the face, but by God. You know, and it's like, man, you know, the reality's starting to starting to kick in. And when I talk about you can't send cheap and it's going to cost you. It cost me a lot. It cost me my family. It cost me my first marriage. It cost me a lot of friends. And it even cost me, within my own family, a lot of pain and heartache. Um, and the, the person that wants to question that, um, because I did. I was that person. I thought that, you know, God could just fix everything. But sin... You look at David and Bathsheba, right? Um, remember when Nathan went to David and was like, "Your son will perish," and his son died. You know, and that's what I'm saying. Like even in the Bible, you can see that sin. You're gonna pay, and David paid, and David paid by the death of his son. You know, and so, and I'm still paying. I mean, I still think about the damage. 
and and how it's affected me. And it's never going to go away. I'm going to have to live the rest of my life dealing with the damage. And you know what? It ain't God's fault, and it ain't nobody's fault but my own. I can't blame God. You know, I can only blame myself because I'm the one that got here, got myself here, you know. So, so anyway, I'm going to try to... I mean, how are we on time? Are we good? Okay. You're good, man. Take whatever okay. you need. Okay, so... So this leads me down a really dark path. You guys better buckle up for this. So I started studying Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, not the other ones. I don't even know who the other guys are, but I know there are more. But um, so the betrayer. And so this was really, really tough on me. This was like the second sledgehammer to the face by God. Um so you think about Judas, right? How remember whenever Jesus was in the upper room and they were and he and he so he tells the disciples, one of you is going to betray me. So this is how um, close Judas was to all the rest of them. They didn't even know who he was talking about. It ain't like Judas was so bad that they're like, oh, man, it's Judas. They quite, they had to ask, like, Lord, is it me? You know, so I'm thinking about this, and I'm going deep in this study. Judas followed Jesus for three years during his ministry and was preaching the gospel and casting out demons and doing all these, everything all the other disciples were doing. And I'm like, so God's really revealing this to me, and I'm like, oh, man. Like, it scared me. It really scared me, like, because I knew. Like, once again, I was like, God, you're right. Like, I I can't deny it, you know. I'm I'm no different than Judas. I mean, I know we're talking about somebody that was prophesied, you know, that that was prophesied in the Old Testament that you know that he had a purpose and to betray Jesus. And I, I realized the the theology behind it, but I was no different. Um, and and it really it really did it really did scare me. I mean, I so at this point I'm I'm terrified because i'm like man i want to be a judas and i don't want to be a fake and a fraud and i need help like but i'm still i'm still really battling this like you know you would think at this point it had been like fall on your face and cry out to god that he might save you you know but i'm not i mean i'm praying but it's shallow it's not genuine still so i just can't find genuine repentance at this point so so i'm gonna Okay, so I'm going to pull up a quote real quick by by somebody. But while I'm pulling this up, so the reality hits me, I deserve hell. And you know what? God would be totally just in sending me there right now. The fact that I'm even still here, and I'm, I'm like having this conversation with myself. I'm like, the fact that I'm still here is amazing. Like, I should be dead, and I should be burning in hell right now. And and there's nothing that, that I could say about it. And I, I couldn't say... Why would you send me here, God? You know, God would be totally just in sending me here. So, so I'm going to read the, this. This is a quote by R.C. Sproul. Um, so he says, Judas chose to follow Jesus. He made his own decision to enter the school of Jesus, and he stayed with our Lord during his earthly ministry for three years. Yet we, were t- we, yet we are told that he was a devil in John 6, 70. It wasn't that Judas was genuinely converted, 
and then fell out of grace and was lost. Rather, although he was close to Jesus, he was never a converted man. That ought to give us pause as we consider the states of our own souls. And he's exactly right, and that's exactly what it did to me. It gave me pause, and I was like, man, I've, been, I've had it wrong this whole time. Like, and that was, that was a tough pill to swallow, you know, because, I, I mean, so, so, the reali- so at this point, the reality is starting to sink in that I'm a false convert. But leading up to this, I'm not sure of that yet. I'm like, you know, I asked Jesus into my heart. I mean, what else, what else do you need to do, right? So, but I'm starting to see Scripture, and I'm starting to see what the Bible has to say about it, not what the world has to say about it. So, so yeah, the Judas deal, man, that was dark. That, I, I spent a lot of nights weeping over that, um, just the reality of my own state. So, so anyway, uh, God's gift of repentance, it gets better. So, um so I, at this point, I'm, I'm I've hardened my heart to God, um, seared my conscience. All the things the Bible talks about, I was the guy, and and I didn't know much about repentance, um, at least what the Bible had to say about it. Really, didn't even know what it meant um, until I started looking at what the Bible had to say, and I realized this is an action, like it's a verb, like it literally means to turn the other way, to turn from your sins and go the other way. Not think about it, not toil with it, but to stop and turn about face. <laughs> so, um, and I realize, I realize there are besetting sins and that there's sins out there that are tough to deal with. And, and trust me, I, I still deal with some of them. But, um, but at this point, there was no, I, there was no repentance. Like, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't even get there. Um, I would cry out to God. But it was still selfish motives. Like, I just didn't want God's wrath. I didn't want hell. Like, I, I haven't truly seen, you know, uh, the love of God, I think, is what changed me. Whenever, you, whenever I saw how much God loved me, it made me want to love Him. You know, so, so it's not genuine at this point. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, uh, I'm going to go back to the... Scripture. So we're going to go to Second Corinthians seven ten, and I'm sorry to jump around, but like I said, this is what I'm this is what I'm reading at the time that I'm going through this. So Second Corinthians seven ten. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So. So I'm reading this, and I'm like, okay. So I'm so I get a little bit of a grasp on repentance now, um, but I'm starting to see that repentance is a gift from God. It's not something we can muster up, you know. Because like Ephesians two says, without Christ, we're dead. We're incapable of being genuine on any level without God intervening in our lives. God is intervening in my life at this point. So now my eyes are really starting to open up, you know, and so we're going to, we're going to jump over to second Timothy two, uh, 24 through 26. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. Um, 
and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being kept. So I realized that just by reading this um, at that time, like repentance is a gift from God. It's not guaranteed. Um, and so I go, over, so I'm talking with my buddy Destin through a lot of this and he's helping me out. So we'll jump over to Hebrews twelve fifteen through 17. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it may become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. That scared me, because I was like, man, it's a get like I... So, so this is whenever I started falling down on my face before a holy God, begging for mercy. That's my only hope. That, that's literally the only hope we have. We, we can do nothing apart from Him. So I cry out at this point. And I think this is, this is the point where God truly changed me and saved me. Um, it's whenever I, I had nowhere else to go. I was like, you're it, God. I'm done. I'm done fighting. I'm not going to fight you anymore. And it was brutal. Like, I remember laying on the floor, just crying and, and claw, literally, like, clawing the carpet. Like, just just the reality of, of the state that I was in, I think, was just, I mean, I was just weeping and clawing and fighting. And then, then it was like, peace. I, I mean, I was just done fighting. So... So anyway, I see at this point, like, I'm thankful. So, so I'll go from being, you know, um, just really struggling, fighting with God, to just being thankful because I found repentance, and God, God gave me that gift of repentance. And I tell anybody listening, this, I mean, you, we, need to view, we need to view God with a sense of urgency, because first off, we're not promised tomorrow, but we're also not promised repentance, which is a gift from God. And I think it's a scary place to harden your heart towards God and sear your conscience to the point where you don't even, you don't even care about your sin. You don't care that you've committed cosmic treason against a holy God. I mean, I was there. I mean, I was that guy. I don't know why God saved me, but I'm thankful but, man, I was really close to hell. And I'll tell anybody listening, you, this is serious and it needs to be dealt with with a sense of urgency because we're not promised. We're not promised either one of those things. So, so anyway, anyway, this is sobering. And, like I said, adds a sense of urgency to the situation. What does true repentance look like? There's no better, I'm telling you guys right now, there's no better picture of true repentance. And we'll go to Psalm 51, 1 through 17. You, a lot of you guys probably know this. Probably one, it's probably one of the most famous psalms. Um, this is David, King David again. Uh, after he had gone, on to, gone into Bathsheba, Nathan approaches him. I'm just going to read this, and you guys just really listen to this, because this, this broke me too. And it might be hard for me to read because I can relate. But, so to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, 
according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only. You see, right there, against you, you, you notice how David addresses God first, not himself. He doesn't say, I've sinned against you, God. He says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. So true. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. David trusted God, and that's, what, that's something I struggled with uh, leading up to this point. David knew that if he cried out to God, God would clean him, and God would forgive him. That's faith right there. And so let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take your Holy and not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God. O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Right there. That's true repentance. And God broke me. I mean, I lost the battle, and I was broken. And, and I, I still thank God. I mean, it really is sobering just to even read this again because I haven't read that in a long time other than preparing for this podcast. But... Um, God used Psalm 51 to, to show me what true repentance looks like. And that is a very good example of true repentance. So I wanted to throw that in there because it, re- it really did change me. So trusting God is, is going to be my next topic. Like I think I already said, um, this was tough for me and still is sometimes. But, um, I think I struggled with what most people struggle with. There's no way God could forgive me. At the, up to this point, you know, like, like I'm a, like I'm a Judas, <laughs> basically. Um, I've I've been a, once again, a fake and a fraud, and I drag Christ through the mud. I use whenever I was, I, I would use Christianity to gain, to for personal gain sometimes, or to even manipulate people, and I'm like, there's no way God could ever forgive me for what I've done. And um, so we're going to jump over to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to try to go this, uh, do this a little faster. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new cre- creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. 
Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, once again, seeing God for who he is and just the miracle. Um, I think I think at this point the reality is also like God didn't have to save us. God could have started over. He could have been like, you know what? I'm done. And we all could be in hell right now. But it's the grace of God. And and so I think the grace of God and the reality of what happened on that cross is really um is really weighing on me. And I don't like I mean at this point I'm feeling a little bit sorry for myself. And I'm like, man, God, I'm like, how could I do that to you? You know, I mean, my eyes are open now. I see the truth. So I'm kind of having like this little bit of like a pity party, you know, like, um, like God, you know, you can never, I don't know how you could ever forgive me. And it's all about me, right? And, and this is something I struggled with even in the beginning. I think, I mean, like I said, at this point, God truly has done a miracle in my life. Um, and, but, this is also the point where I start to realize, and I told Derek this on the phone at what we were talking the other day, and I'll say that to, and I'll say this to the person that we were talking about earlier. There's one hero in this story, and it's not you. <laughs> so I have to tell myself that at this point in my life, it's not you, it's God, and. Because, like, like if you guys remember, I talked about in the beginning, like, I had very bad um, teaching growing up from from the church I was a part of, where it almost felt like, like I said, God is subject to man. And I realized at this point, God is not subject to man. Matter of fact, we're the creatures. He's the creator. We were made to worship him. And... So God has really put me in my place at this point, you know. So I'm 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 being humbled and I realize that it's not about me. And and that that's tough, I think, for a lot of people. But at the same time, like I'm so thankful for God for being in control because and it being about him because if it wasn't, like I said, we'd all be in hell. You know, but so I'm looking at, so I'm really studying the cross. You guys have probably heard this, the great exchange, what happened on the cross, or imputation. My sin imputed to Christ, his righteousness imputed to me. That, once again, was like sledgehammer to the mouth. Like, I was like, man, like, so so the reality of what actually happened on that cross is like, man, like, Thank you. That's the only thing I can say. Like when I, even when I think about it right now, and I, and it makes me it makes me want to break down again. But I'm just like, thank you, God. Thank you for doing what you did on that cross, for coming down, bearing the flesh, stepping off your throne, right there. I mean, I mean, it's just amazing if you truly, if people stop and just think about what what God did, intervening in man's life, so man doesn't have to perish and bear the wrath of the Father. It's truly amazing if you think about it. Um, so so this is all, I mean, it's like God's like 
prying my eyes open at this point and just pouring it on, you know? So, so, uh, so this is where I, I start to trust God. I'm like, you know what? God can't lie. He's perfect and he's holy and he's righteous. He can't lie. So I, so I'm starting to trust God, you know, and, and God's really being super gentle with me. God has put people in my life at this point that is super gentle with me too. Um, I think this is about the time I met Derek. Um, I had known Randy, Randy, I'd known Randy before I'd even gotten divorced from my first wife. So, so Randy was around a little, like when things were unraveling, of course, you know, it didn't unravel all at once. It took some time to unravel. So, but I talked to Randy about some of the struggles I was going through back then. So, so he's a little bit familiar with what went on. And then, but the point is, is God, God really, I, I look at, I look at it now and I'm like, man, what a perfect scenario. God strategically put people in my, in my life for a reason. And it was to help me. I'm like a big baby. It's like God has to like pat me on the butt and like, okay, now go over here, you know? So, but anyway, it's, it's, it's really is miraculous looking back at it now. But thinking about the fact that, um, like we're all going to have to stand before God and give an account for our lives one day. Really, you know, I, up until this point, you know, I don't have no fruit. You know, there's no genuineness about me. And I'm like, okay, God, I know that you have a purpose for my life. Um, and it's like I told Derek too, it's like sometimes you got to buckle up whenever, when you're dealing with God because you just never know. Even with like this podcast, I was telling him, I was like, man, I think on the way here I was talking to you guys like, it might not seem like a big deal now, this podcast deal, but it's like, you guys might want to buckle up because you never know. <laughs> so, so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, uh, just thinking about that, but thinking about the fact that God pursued me and I was incapable of pursuing him. Um, I'm, so I'm thinking about the realities of what happened, what God actually did in my life, and He's revealing this to me. So we'll f- jump over to John six forty four real quick. Um, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. So, you know, that's kind of one of those a little bit controversial um, passages, I feel like. I mean, not for me. Um, I feel like... Uh, I'm, I I think I think about that passage and I'm like, thank you God for pursuing me because I was incapable of pursuing you. Thank you so much for setting your sights on me. You know because I mean like Ephesians two, we're dead apart from Christ. We're incapable of making such decisions, and I sure was. So I, so I realized that you know God's grace is sufficient. You know it's kind of like you know. God told Paul that, you know, when he's talking about the thorn in the side. And, he's, you know, I think Paul asked him like three times to take the thorn. And after the third time, God was like, my grace is sufficient. And I'm starting to realize that at this time. Like, you know, because like I said, I'm kind of pouting, kind of feeling sorry for myself. Because like I said, my life totally changed. My marriage, my marriage was gone. My kids were gone. And I was in a house by myself. So... So I'm sitting there pouting, and and it's like God kind of hit me with that too. It's like my grace is sufficient. 
quit pouting and be a man, you know. So, and God is really showing me how to be not just a man, but a godly man at this point. But I'm still suffering, like, the consequences, and it's tough to deal with. A lot of pain. And and just dealing with, like, alcohol and, like, trying to get over, you know, some addictions um, was tough, too. So I've got a lot. I'm dealing with a lot at this point. Um and I kind of, I kind of had that mentality, and I think, I think a lot of people can probably relate with this too. But I, I had the mentality of, well, don't whenever you become a Christian, don't things just get better? Like why, like why am I still struggling with this stuff? You know, like I had high expectations, but then it's like we talked about earlier. You're not going to sin cheap, and it's going to cost you. Even if you are a Christian, it's going to cost you. I mean, look at what it cost Christ. First off. You know, you can't sin cheap. And I th- and I'm gonna I'm gonna give this little. I want I want to put this in there real quick. And I didn't plan on talking about this, but I do actually want to say this because this changed everything for me. It's the point where God showed me the ugliness of sin is whenever everything changed for me. That's whenever I found true repentance because I saw sin for what it is. I saw myself for who I am, and I saw God for who He was. So I want to throw that in there, because if you have a if you have a shallow view of sin, or like a nonchalant view, like I did, um, it's a big deal, and it's, and it's going to hurt you, eventually. You might be like the world, and like what it says in Romans about how these people literally walk around storing up wrath, wrath against themselves on the Day of Judgment. But it's going to get you eventually, you know, whether it's on the Day of Judgment or whenever. But it's not going to come cheap. And, that, and, I think, and I wanted to throw that in there because that was something God did for me that changed everything, just opening my eyes to see that. So, so I'm still suffering the consequences, thinking everything should have been okay. So naturally, in all of my stupidity, I start to question God, like, why why is this still like why am I still having to go through this? Why is things not getting better? And I'm being really selfish again. Kind of going back to you know to almost like using God. And I'm gonna throw I'm gonna we're gonna roll over to Romans nine, I think it's thirteen or fifteen. I can't read my own handwriting. It's I think it's thirteen through twenty one. Um yeah, it is. So as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth." So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, why, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to, to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable? So at that point... I'm like, okay, um, God's totally, like, another sledgehammer to the face, like, um, 
don't question me. Like, I'm God, I'm the creator, and you're the creature. And we're going to go over and look at another one. But um, so God's really starting to show me, like, just trust me. My grace is sufficient. And don't question everything like you've done your entire life. You know, and it's got me, and like I said, you I mean, you guys heard the story of boot camp, military experience. It's got me in a lot of trouble throughout my life. And now I'm starting to question God, and he's starting to reveal these scriptures to me, and it's like, man, okay, I'm sorry. You're like, you're in control, right? So, so what I get out of that is, who are you, old man, to question God? You know, and it's right. And it's like, I did this. I have to remind myself again, this is not God's fault. This is my fault. I'm the one that got myself here. My sin got me here. This is not God's fault. And God's not a puppet. God's not subject to man. Thank God he's not governed by man and man's emotions. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull up something else real quick um, because these guys say it better, way better than I ever could. So it's the, it, this is coming from the Westminster Confession of Faith. And I, I just want to read this verbatim because I can't say it any better, like I said. So it says, God hath all life, glory, goodness, blessedness in and of himself, and is alone in and unto himself all sufficient, not standing in need of any creatures which he hath made, nor deriving any glory from them, but only manifesting his own glory in, by, unto, and upon them. He is the alone foundation of all being, of whom, through whom, and to whom are all things, and hath most sovereign dominion over them, to do by them, for them, or upon them, whatsoever himself pleaseth. In his sight all things are open and manifest. His knowledge is infinite, infallible, and independent upon the creature, so as nothing is to him contingent or uncertain. He is most holy in all his counsels, in all his works, and in all his commands. To him is due from angels and men, and every other creature, whatsoever worship, service, or obedience he is pleased to require of them. I mean, I don't think anybody can say it any better than that, really. But So, once again, God's putting me in my place. And, and it's just showing, it, he's really showing me the reality. The reality of, the relationship between God and man. And it's just, I mean, you just look around the world today. People have no respect for God, and it's dangerous. I mean, if so at this point, I'm, I'm starting to see how big God truly is. I heard a pastor say this, and I can't remember who it was now, but I can quote it. Um, he, he was talking about eternity, and he, was, and he was talking about God's so big, it'll literally take eternity just to get to know him. And I was like, man, that's pretty good. I don't think I could have said that any better either. So so we're going to jump over. I, I think this is the last of the scripture. but um, So we're, I'm going to read Job. Uh, most of you guys probably know the story of Job, but m- m- some of y'all may not have looked at it from this light. So hopefully I can maybe sh- sh- uh, give you guys a different viewpoint. It's pretty cool if you think about it. So... So I'm reading, I find myself reading Job, and if anybody don't know the background of Job, it's too much to get into right now, but you need to really kind of understand the background and what's actually going on in Job's life to understand this. So Job makes a mistake towards the end of Job and starts to question God like I'm doing. 
so let's hear what God has to say because God speaks. And this, this, is the, this is from the one true living God. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? That's divine sarcasm right there. <laughs> Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to, me, known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea that with doors when it burst out from its womb? When I made clouds its garment and thick, gar- and thick nar- darkness its swaddling band and prescribed limits for it and set bars and doors and said, Thus far you shall come and no farther, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. He basically says, Who are you to question me? I'm God. I think you, to appreciate this, you have to understand Job lost everything. And the first words out of God's mouth is not, man, Job, I'm really sorry that you lost everything. It was, shut up and stop questioning me, basically. I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> but, um, I, and, you know, reading this, I found a new respect for God. And God is a God to be feared. He is a God to be respected. And I can't say enough about that, really. So let's see what Job has to say. After, this goes on for like <clears throat> three chapters. God just wears Job out. I'll just give you just a little bit of it. So let's see what Job, <laughs> let's see what Job has to say. It's kind of funny. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. End of story. Basically, it's, but I mean, it's not. So he goes on to say, who is this that hides counsel with, or sorry, um, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Here and I will speak, I will question you, and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see, sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Done. <laughs> Job's a smart man. <laughs> I wish I would have been smart enough to do that sooner. But you guys see, like, what God, God is, like, slowly opening my eyes to these truths. And, I mean, I can still remember this. I mean, I can almost quote a lot of this um, just off memory because God systematically intervened in my life and and it's just it's like i said i'm sitting here thinking about it right now and it's just still amazing to me living in harmony and trusting in the sovereignty of god another big deal it's hard to do um and i'm getting ready to end this but um there's just no better picture of the sovereignty of god to me than the story of job you know and and it it really took me a long time, a lot longer. I don't know, maybe if it was just a hard subject for me to grasp was the sovereignty of God. But looking at it now, um, man, and I see like what he's done in my life, and I'm sure you guys can all look back in your own lives and see like God work 
And it's like, man, he truly is sovereign and he truly does care about us. And, um, so it was really cool. So actually, so I'm going to conclude with this and this, this is a, this is a, this is, I kind of, I kind of came up with this last night. So, but, um, I kind of want to commission guys like I think I think you guys might have a lot of men that listen to this and this is something that God revealed to me too like um through his word just just reading his word and it's like like we need men nowadays to stand up so you know I come from a warrior background um just being in the military we got some police officers here I mean but all the I feel like all the guys here have that warrior mentality and I just want to say that, like, there's a war raging on. I mean, the Bible talks about how we don't battle against flesh and blood; we battle against principalities and spirits, things that are unseen. And there, and the war is raging, and we can see, and I can see it now. And you know, it's like fellow man is not our enemy. They, I mean, I look at my, I look at how how lost I was at one point, and I thank God that He saved me. Those people need the same thing. You know, it's not fellow man that we battle against. They're just blind. I mean, the Bible talks about they're just blind. They can't see the truth. So we need to have compassion towards our fellow man and and uh, and go out and battle and preach the gospel. The gospel is what changes people. The knowledge of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross is what changes people. And we need we don't need sideline sitters like I was or you know fakes that you know so um, so I want to read a story real quick um, so this takes place in the 15th century um, I don't know if you guys ever heard of these guys but it's Bishop Latimer and Ridley um, they were burned alive at the stake by Queen Mary Queen Mary this is where we get the term Bloody Mary from she was a Catholic. Um, these guys were Protestant. Um, this was during the Reformation. Um, so I think I, I, you guys can look at the story, but I think they were preaching against transubstantiation. If you don't know what that is, just look it up. It's kind of complex, but it's a Catholic thing. Um, and these guys were preaching against it, made Queen Mary mad. So so the, so she's. they were in prison. They're back-to-back at the stake, and I'm just going to quote this for you because these guys are true warriors, and this is what this is this is the warrior mentality that we all need to have. So the two men stood back to back at the stake, and the last words uttered by Bishop Latimer have been recorded as, "Be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England as I trust shall never be put out." And it wasn't. So I say what he said, play the man. You know, and, and I think there's a lot of men that need to hear that. Um, I know I sure did. You know, it's, it's one of those deals where you got to, like, like I said, there's a war wait, you know, raging all around us. You know, I almost want to tell people, and I wish somebody would have told me this too, pick a side. What side are you going to fight for? Are you going to are you going to fight for good? Are you going to fight for evil? But you're not going to straddle this fence. You need to pick a side. And you need to go fight. You know, and and I bow the knee to the King, and the King is Jesus, and I fight for Him now. And I think I think you just, I think we need to see 
more people with that uh, that warrior mentality that decide that they're going to be men that disciple their families. But it's not just men. I'm talking about women too, to train up your train up your your children because these are little warriors. You know the the Bible talks about how children are like quiver like arrows in a quiver. We send them out and they go battle. You know we need we need women that are willing to disciple their kids, men that are willing to disciple their families and go fight. And I'm not talking about fighting with guns. And I mean, I know there's probably guys like cleaning their AR-15 listening to this right now and going, heck yeah, you know, but I'm not talking about slinging lead. I'm talking about preaching the gospel, talking about guys like these, like these two men that were burned alive at the stake. And I mean, I don't, I mean, I would like to think that I would be able to, that I would be that courageous. I mean, because that's such a horrific way to die. But, I mean, these guys were true men and true warriors. And, uh, I don't know, I just, I just want to, I want to say that to encourage people to get in the fight. There, I mean, we have a, this, this, we can change the world. It's a long game. It's not going to change overnight. But it starts with the family. Change your family. Disciple your family. Disciple your kids. And you're going to see the trickle effect. And then you send your kids out, and then they change the world. And we can be light in the darkness. And there's a lot of darkness out there all around us. Anyway, appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you, Corey. Man, I appreciate that. You know, when you called me, when you called me, when we released our first podcast, you know, we, we got into a conversation and I think really, you know, God was tugging at my heart. And that's why I asked you if you'd like to do this. Um, because there's a lot of struggles that we deal with, you know, in the law enforcement background and the military background, that there are still people out there struggling and they don't know where they can find hope, right? And and so with 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 your testimony right here, you know, the hope is in Jesus, right? I mean, that's that's where it's at. Oh, yeah. yeah. And we're, we're very stubborn men. We're hard-headed. And, and if we come from a background like that, I mean, of the military and law enforcement, I mean, I talk about law enforcement because that's what I know. You know, that, I live that life. I didn't live the life of the military. I, I respect everybody that was in the military. I come from a long line of military folks that served. My dad served. He's retired Air Force. You know, my, my uncle, my grandpa. You know, I was supposed to go down that line. That was supposed to be the destiny. But I told my dad, I said, I want to become a police officer. That's what I want to do. You know, that's how I wanted to serve. But that's why I talk a lot about how we are as men because I've seen it. And, and, you know, men and women. We have a lot of struggles, and and a lot of times we find easy answers. We go to the alcohol. We go to the drugs. You know, we go to the easy answers, and maybe for even for me, I can I can tell you, you know, that alcohol was a big deal in my life. And I don't want to take anything away from your testimony at all, Corey. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I was touched. And it's, and it's awesome to see 
the, how you're living your life right now for the Lord. And I know that you've mentioned that, you know, that you're, you're to go out and make disciples, yeah. right? And that's what you're doing. And, yeah. and, and you didn't tell the listeners that you go down to the U of A yeah. and talk to those students and, and, and tell them the good word. Yeah, yeah. You guys want a challenge? Go talk to those kids. Um, it's brutal. It's brutal out there. Um, these kids aren't dumb. A lot of them know the Bible. A lot of them grew up in church. So somebody, you better know the Bible if you're going to go out there. And that's something that I got, I got really humbled going out there. Um, but that's where the battle is. The battle is for our kids. It's a battle is for young kids, you know, so I have a heart for that. And so, yeah, we go, we go uh, battle it out at the U of A. Yeah, so, that's awesome. Yeah, good. I mean, it's great. And, and hopefully if somebody's listening right now and going through some of these pains, the, the hope is in Jesus. Uh, the alcohol, the drugs, everything else is a temporary. And it just, all that did, like for me, Corey, all that did for me was take the pain away for the, the little amount of time. Yeah. Once that wore off, I could, the pain was still there. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, but when you when you really surrender your your life to to God, it, it's just amazing. I no. mean, how He moves through us, and you know how. And you and you mentioned this during your testimony many times. The grace, and and I and I and I've done the same thing too. Like, God, you have enough grace for me. Like, yeah, my sins I think are just you know burdensome and they're so bad and they hold on to me or the things that we've seen, the things that we've done that God, you have forgiveness for my sins and you have the grace to show me. And, and like you said, the first thing that we got to do when we come saved is repent, you know, from our sins. Yeah. Jesus preached it. John the Baptist preached it. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Repent, turn from your sins. Um, yeah, and it's an action, you know, and that, like I said, some, I'm not, trust me, I get it, like, and I struggle, and I, like I said, I still struggle with, with there, there are certain sins in my life that, that I still struggle with, I'll probably struggle with, um, the rest of my life, I mean, I hope not, but, um, I trust God, um, but, uh, you know, but you know what, I repent, you know, when I do sin, I, I run straight to Christ, <laughs> I run and I fall on my face. Yep. It's not the, everything has changed. Um, you know, it went from trying to hide my sin to as soon as I sin, I run to the Savior. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was awesome. I mean, I, I, Corey, I do appreciate you taking the time and mm-hmm. and and just sharing your testimony. And you know, I just hope it helps somebody out there. Yeah, I, I feel led to ask this question here and. Corey, go ahead and speak up if you want to, but this is just a group question here. Do you think God allows us to remember our past to convict us, or does God allow us to remember our past to add to our testimony to help other believers or non-believers, or both? Yeah, think about it. This This is the way I think about it is we talk about sharing our testimony, right? Corey shared his testimony. Um, and when we think about sharing our testimony, one thing we do is we point to what our life was like before Christ, right? And so I think God 
allows us to remember certain God allows us to remember our past, not for us to dwell on, to say, oh, how wretched was I, but God allows us to remember our past to say, oh, how great is God, that no matter how bad I was, God was still willing to love and extend that grace to me. And it took God to get you to that point. Exactly. Not yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I kind of I, I go back to what Corey said, and it's kind of funny. This come to me right before Derek picked me up tonight, but Corey already put it out there. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, and all things have become new. Yeah. So, yeah, we have that memory, but we're a new person since we take in Christ. So I don't know how you have to feel about that, but you're a, you're a new creation. He said so. So, And, and in that verse, Jed, it's talking about how um, the ways of our old self is no longer there, right? Yeah. So, so before uh, Christ saved me, I was depressed and suicidal, right? That's no longer the case because now I'm full of life and full joy, life. right? And yes. so that's what that means is my old life, the way I was living is no longer there, but I still remember... So that way I can tell of what God's done yeah. in my life. The memories there, that's kind of what I'm just saying, though. But the memories there, but I don't know that, I don't know how to put it, if it's there for good or bad. It's it's there, but it's how we take it. But we are a new creation. So if we're a new creation, we're going to take it for the good because yeah. we're for the glory of God. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think it is solely rooted in both, and it's, and it's there for God to use, you know? Um, you, don't, you don't forget it. It doesn't go away, and, but you don't beat yourself up about it anymore. That's one of the things that the peace that you get from salvation, from actually truly trusting in Jesus, that he has forgiven you for all those things. So you're not supposed to use it to bludgeon yourself. You're not supposed to use it to bring yourself down that's not going to accomplish his his goal it's to actually lift you up and make you actually realize what you are now versus what you were before and then as you had all said you can then share that with others and be a true light to them right it's that's, right. that's what it's all for yeah that's what it's all for yeah yeah and i just want to thank you know, thank you for your service, Corey. I do. You know, I thank every man and woman out there in the military right now. We do thank you for your service. And in the law enforcement, you know, you're still out there battling. You know, just keep up the good fight. And, and in that time of need, I would say, you know, you need to go to the Bible. You need to go to Jesus. You bet. So uh, we just want to say thank you to every, you know, woman and man out there serving. Corey, one thing, I, one thing that just gets in my mind, especially being a pastor at a church, is our pew sitters. Right? Yeah. You talked about being a pew sitter or, oh, fa- yeah. or a false Christian. Yeah. Um, I call them pew sitters just because nah, that's yeah. what they do, right? Right. And so, is there a what encouragement can you give to them to push them? Because I feel like that's a struggle. I think we, we probably have pastors that listen to this, I'm sure. And so yeah. what encouragement could you give them to, to either help their members or yeah. the members themselves to push? I don't know if it's encouragement, but I can uh, shed some light on it, being, you know, being one myself at one point. I think you have to be true. To, I think, I think uh, 
examine yourself, like what Paul said in Corinthians. Um, but it's not going to do you any good to examine yourself and, uh, and not be true to yourself either. Um, and, I, and that's something that I struggled with is I was a Judas, basically. You know, I would, I would examine myself, but then I would make excuses. <clears throat> the Word of God is very good at, at cutting you to the core if you're honest with yourself. Just be honest with yourself. Come to Christ as you are. Um, and with all your sin and all your baggage... And cry out to a holy God. That's the only hope you have. That's it. <laughs> Anybody else? No, I just appreciate you, Corey. Yeah, yeah thank, we all yeah. do. Thank you, Corey, for sure. Yeah. Derek, do you want to close this out in prayer tonight? Then. Yeah, I can. All right. You know, dear Lord, just just thank you for tonight, and that w- you know we're able to do this, Lord, and that we just want to do Your will. And, Lord, I do appreciate, you know, Corey's testimony. And, and Lord, that, you know, we surround ourselves with, you know, brothers and sisters of Christ. You know, I think we said, you know, last time that, you know, that that iron sharpens iron and that we could be there for each other as well. Um, And, Lord, just please bless the, the men and women that are still serving and just just watch over them and keep them safe, you know, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Debriefing, a podcast supported by First Baptist Church Hawassi. Please like and subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified when we post new episodes, as well as check out our past episodes. We'll be posting new podcasts every other Thursday. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you have questions you'd like us to answer, comments, or feedback on the podcast, please contact us through our social media or email us at dmeadows at fbchawassi.com. Thank you, and we hope God blesses your day.